The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. It is so good to see all of you, so many people that I love, so many exciting things happening. I think we have more pregnant women per capita than any church I have ever witnessed in my life. You guys were up to something during the pandemic, and uh, that much is clear. We have babies everywhere, which is a sign of God's grace and goodness. And as you can feel outside, uh, summer's coming. <laughs> Summer is, feels as though it's here. And uh, I'm really excited. Sean and I are gonna launch into a new series that we're both excited about, and there are gonna be a number of people that are gonna teach you in this. Uh, and we're gonna pull from church history and pull back to try to hear some voices maybe that we haven't heard or share some stories from people that you may not know about or have not heard. We're, we're calling this series really simply, it's time to hear what she said. We're gonna look at the lives and the stories and the voices of unique women in the course of church history. Uh, people that maybe you wouldn't even know who they are, and yet when you hear some of what they offered, whether they're a theologian uh, or a hymn writer or just a person of faith, uh, that will offer some unique perspective. And today I'm gonna to tell you the story of somebody that many of you are gonna have no clue who she is, and a few of you will recognize her last name. Today we're gonna to look at the gospel according to her, the life in many ways, of Anna Spafford. Anna Spafford was born in 1842, and she died in 1923. How many of you know anything at all about Anna Spafford? This is just for my own amusement. We have like five of us maybe in the room. So Anna Spafford was an immigrant from Europe to the US. Uh, she came in the 1840s uh, with her father and sisters. Uh, she came to what she was told was gonna be this promised land. It was a land of abundance and prosperity. And instead, it was farming hell. It was nothing good happening. It was hard life. It was poverty. It was illness. Uh, family members dying on a regular basis. And she met a man and ultimately fell in love at a young age, uh, a successful man named Horatio, Horatio Spafford. And Horatio was uh, from a prominent family. He was a businessman, he was a lawyer, and uh, they fell in love and they started having kids. He ended up focusing more on real estate in Chicago and was one of these people that made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, made a lot of money, lost a lot of money. And uh, if you have ever done that, um, you know it's exhausting. And if you've lived that life of having a lot and not having a lot, it changes things. They also had kids. And uh, their first uh, two kids, Annie and Horatio, uh, had a really good life in a big house on Lake Michigan. And, uh, but Horatio uh, died at three years of age of scarlet fever. And uh, that was a loss that was obviously really hard for Anna. In the midst of their business life and all that was going on, Horatio hit a hard spot and he decided, I think quite literally, probably like a lot of parents today, uh, things are gonna be hard so I'm gonna distract uh, my kids with a vacation. And uh, he decided that he would send them to Europe, that they would travel together. When some of his business things blew up, he sent his wife and then four daughters on to Europe without him. And, uh, and it was on that voyage, if you know this part of the story, uh, that they were, their ship was struck by a French vessel, literally right in the middle of the ship. It split the ship in two. 
Uh, Horatio had moved his family from a cabin that would have been right in the middle to one towards the top, and they were able to make it to the very top deck um, as the boat was struck and started to sink. Uh, Anna thought that they would be able to get on a lifeboat, but it's literally like the movie Titanic. It was one of those, they had recently painted the lifeboats and they were stuck to the ship. Um, The lifeboats, many of them went down with the ship. When the ship started to go down, it literally created a vortex that pulled down the kids and one of, uh, as she was holding one of the the baby, um, she was struck by an object that tore the baby from her arms. And she woke up. Um, had been ultimately on a plank uh, that got her on a rescue ship, and she survived, but the four girls did not. She sent a telegram to her husband, Horatio, that is legendary, and it simply said, right, can you imagine writing a telegram like this? Saved alone, what shall I do? Can you fathom the kind of loss and pain And so part of the reason we're going to look at Anna's story today is that she's one of those people historically that when I look at and hear her story, I think, I don't know anyone. I know people that have been through a lot. There are people in this room, you've been through a lot, right? You've suffered some things that are challenging. I don't know anyone that has lost six children. Anybody you can think of that you know personally that has experienced that kind of loss, you don't have to raise your hand or point to them in the room, but that's a lot of loss. What I I tell people as a pastor, when you walk with people through grief, and sadly, um, with 30 plus years of pastoring, I've done a lot of it. When you walk people through grief, you you learn quickly um, that all grief is hard. If you lose someone you love, it's hard. But what what I know and have experienced personally is that um, when you lose a spouse, when you lose a parent, when you lose a grandparent, even when you lose a sibling, psychologically, we go into life knowing that that's a possibility, that we journey together, and it's very possible you're going to lose one of you. If you're married, one of you will likely go before the other, and that's a painful, painful loss. But what, what I've experienced as I walk with people is that when you lose a child, when, when we die out of order, it's the kind of grief that, that puts you on the floor and it's hard to ever get over. What, what I tell people is that grief is something we metabolize, right? So when you experience loss or pain or trauma or suffering, it, you literally, like you metabolize food, you slowly deal with it over time. And it may be decades of dealing with it, but you're slowly um, processing that grief. What I tell people is that when you lose a kid, it's a lot like the stories that we hear in the environment of what's happening with whales. Whales, you may know, are ingesting plastic on a level that's just unheard of, right? So when you find the belly of a whale, they do an autopsy and one that beaches. It's got a hundred pounds, some of them, of plastic that it just can't metabolize. And what I tell people is when you lose a kid, it's like plastic in the belly of a whale. You you literally can't, you carry it with you your whole life. So I tell you that to tell you, when I hear the story of Anna Spafford, I hear someone that I go, I, I admire her because I don't know how she woke up and stepped out on her two feet every morning. If I lost one child, as parents, right, you all know this feeling if you're a parent, of just when your kid's little, you imagine them falling on the playground and it rattles you, right? The, the thought of something happened, when, 
I've got a 20-year-old who is obsessed with his motorcycle right now. As a parent, like, my prayer life has been transformed. I mean, literally. Uh, last night, I needed to sleep because I got to preach, right? And what am I doing? I'm tracking his location because I know he's on his motorcycle. And I'm saying, please text me that you're in bed so I can actually sleep, right? Because I can't sleep if I know you're on the road, right? And at some point, I realize some of you are out there and you're like, my kid had a motorcycle and you're going to have to learn to deal with you. I've got to sleep at some point, right? when you have kids, it's part of that reality. So what I wanna invite you into today are some lessons from Anna Spafford's life. I found about 10 of them. Uh, I'm only gonna hit five today, but they're five that I think are really, really important. And so here's the first one. This is what happened when Anna Spafford lost her kid. And then by the way, um, after she lost Horatio and then lost the four daughters, they went back to Chicago and they had two more kids. They named the second boy Horatio again, and then he died of scarlet fever when he was four. So imagine, you've lost six children at a young age. And this is part of what happened. You read the letters of Anna Spafford and this is what alarms me. I love the hymn that, so what I didn't tell you is that Horatio Spafford, if you didn't know this part of the story, got on a boat to go chase Anna Spafford. And as his boat crossed the part of the ocean where his daughters perished, he wrote this hymn that we sing often, it is well with my soul, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. And, and he expressed and in this chorus, it's beautiful, it's painful. He says, it is well with my soul. Now, I love that hymn and it's brought comfort to me, but I gotta tell you this, this is what I'm afraid of. Anna Spafford immediately started to write letters to family and say things like, God wanted my kids. Or uh, I, this world is so evil, I wouldn't have them back. She tried to spiritualize it and make it okay and get over it. And this is what Anna Spafford needed to do and you and I need to do when he experienced loss is grieve. Grieve and grieve well, don't fake it. Don't fake it. When we experience loss, it doesn't even have to be the loss of a a child. I'll tell you this, I've got a friend in the church that passed away this last year, his name's Sam. And I've been working on a tribute to Sam since he passed and I can't finish it. And you know why I can't finish it? Because it's not well with my soul. Sam and I were born on the exact same day. And he just had a life and a vibrancy to him. His plan was to retire. And he was one of those people, he's like, I'm gonna be your sidekick. If you go to Ukraine, I'm going to Ukraine. If you go to Venezuela, I'm going to Venezuela. And I'll tell you what, if Sam would have gone anywhere with me, he just had a way of making it a party. So whenever I sit down to write my tribute to him, this is what I think. This is not okay with me. Anybody else have a grief that you're not okay with? Am I the only one? And this is what I wanna tell you, that's okay. God's not sitting up there all rattled because it's not currently well with your soul. God knows loss and knows pain. And this is what Anna Spafford did. She tried to push through and fake it and it wasn't good for her. And this is what I wanna encourage you to do. As you've experienced loss, please grieve and grieve well. Matthew 5, 4 reminds us, Jesus said it and it's true in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now, this is what you need to know. You lost a parent, you lost a sibling, you lost a neighbor, you lost a friend. You're not on a clock for your grief. 
You don't get three months. You don't get six months. You don't get a year. You get what you get. And whatever it takes you to grieve well, I want to encourage you as your pastor and friend, just grieve well. You're not a downer to any of us. In fact, you're just a model of health if you deal with it and process it. If you try to push it down, this is what happens. It'll come up later as anger and resentment and control and it'll rear its ugly head and you won't know what it is, but it's grief coming out sideways and sideways grief is really ugly. Straight up grief, I'm hurting, I miss my dad. We can all handle that, right? We can all, we all go, oh gosh. And then most of us, if we still have our dad, we're like, I'm gonna call my dad right now, right? It's actually good for us to hear you remind us. Sideways grief, it's, it's ugly. Secondly, this is what you need to know. Healthy grief is communal. You don't walk through grief alone. Grief alone will crush you. It will drown you. It is not good for you. When, when you grieve, if you just grab some people along with you, you will make it. Just let people walk with you. One of my favorite things about the Jewish culture, and really all over the Middle East, you can see it, is that they know how to grieve communally. They gather people around and they stay together. Jews have this thing called shloshim for 30 days. This is one of my favorite things about it. Um, They don't shower or cut their hair, men don't, or try to make themselves look good. This is what they do. They're saying, I wanna show you how I feel on the inside with how I look on the outside. Wouldn't it make sense just to go, I'm gonna look like crap for 30 days after I experience loss? because I want you to see how I feel, right? I, I just think it's brilliant. And, and they gather and they sit on the floor and they pray every day together and they just do things that help one another get through. Horatio and Anna Spafford went back to Chicago and you know what happened to them? This is the worst part of Christian culture. I'm just gonna brace you for it now, it's ugly. They went back to Chicago and to their church where um, Horatio was an elder and people started to say things like, What sin did you commit that you would lose six kids? Anybody ever heard people do stuff like that? If that's not the voice of Satan, like, I don't know what is. Like, whatever happened to you, I want to tell you, that's not your fault. Like, God's not up there trying to punish you for something you did. And God doesn't kill kids Like, that's not what God does, okay? So anybody that acts like that's something God does, they they don't know the character of the God that made us and knows us and loves us. If you try to grieve in community in an unhealthy, it will be painful. But if you'll just walk with people in a healthy way, and so part of what happened is Horatio and Anna were so fed up with this unhealthy culture that they literally picked up, they sold their house, they invited a bunch of people to go with them, and they moved to Jerusalem. Now, at that point, everybody knew, I'll tell you, if you've been around here long enough, you know, Jerusalem is my favorite city in the world. I mean, it is, it's the holiest sites, it's, it's the most beautiful, the food is amazing, everything about it. It's also amazing to me, even as I pray for the Ukraine, uh, Jerusalem has been torn down and rebuilt over and over and over again. And, and it gives me hope for, for Ukraine, honestly, that cities and countries can be rebuilt and and hope is real and the resurrection is real. Um, if we're going this summer, we have a second trip. If you've got um, space in your calendar, go. It's the cheaper trip and I promise you, you'll love the lodging. It's, it's not, it's the lower thread count um, 
trip, I tell people. So on the higher thread count, we go to um, the mission compound we stay at, uh, which is now a hotel of Horatio and Anna Spafford. Uh, so on a regular basis, this is a photo of Horatio and Anna and their crew at the American Colony. So this is a spot that we stand at often when we stay at the American Colony. Um, there are four buildings there that used to be their compound, and this is what they did. They moved there, and they were ready for Jesus to come back and to see their kids again. But in the meantime, they just served, and they served well. Here's the third point about your pain, and then I'll give you two more a little more quickly and lead us to communion. Whatever it is that you've been through, whatever scars that you bear, I want to remind you that those are not your weakness or your flaw. They're actually your strength. They're actually your superpower. Part of what you're going to figure out is that one of the reasons that you're able to love people well is because you know pain and suffering and loss. And because uh, Anna and Horatio and that crew of people knew loss, they moved to Jerusalem and they started serving in ways that were really supernatural. There was a long period of time that they fed people 6,000 meals a day in a place that people were starving. They did 6,000 meat, and that was soup. It was just, but they fed people. And this is what you need to know. Our pain leads us to serve supernaturally. One of the reasons our church is so good at moving in and moving towards people in pain is because we know pain. And now I'll tell you, everybody knows pain. It's just whether people acknowledge it or not. One of the reasons um, that we've got a team right now at the Poland, uh, at the Poland-Ukraine border is because as a church we know pain. When I made the trip last month to Lviv and we started to establish relationships, uh, many of you will know we hired these bakers to break this Easter bread, this Pascha bread. And we've been sending it all over Ukraine. Well, those same bakers are now just baking regular bread because they're like people are still hungry. And uh, I've got some photos of one of the recent distributions. Every day this is happening. Now that's not the most sanitary process as you can see they literally they ran out of plastic bags somewhere along the way but they're like hey let's keep feeding people bread and just through our church right now we're doing about 1300 loaves of bread every day every day and we're getting letters and messages back from people who are just like I mean when you're starving a loaf of bread is a world changer and in Ukraine bread is what it's about and people are uh they're overjoyed, they're reconnecting, they're finding some hope because we're doing something simple. Ecclesia, the reason we're able to do that is because we all know what it's like to feel alone and to feel hurt, and it's one of the things that leads us to greater generosity, which is the next point. Um, this is when we're out of that pain, I think we come to generosity, and this is what you need to know. Real generosity flows from the heart. Now, there's, um, there's a great story I'm gonna get the guy's name wrong. No, it's Mr. Rudy, this is his name. He was a member of the community. So Horatio and Anna moved to Jerusalem and they created kind of a commune. I mean, not kind of a commune, like it was really a commune. Like people sold all their property and they threw it all in together and they bought property in Jerusalem and they used the money to feed people and do the things they were called to do. But there was this thing, like you had to give it all, right? So one day they had this kid out gardening and he was digging in the ground and his shovel hit like a coffee can kind of thing, and he heard ding, 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 ding. So he pulls this coffee can up, and it was filled with gold coins, right? So the kid brought it to Anna Spafford and was like, hey, uh, there's a coffee can full of gold coins. And she was like, good, we're broke, we need it. But then she was like, wait, who put it there? 
So I did like an investigation, right? And it turns out this guy was a part of the community. I think he was from Scandinavia originally, named Mr. Rudy. He gave all his money except the one can of gold because he was like, maybe I'm going to need that later. And he buried it, right? So as the story goes, when they figured out it was Mr. Rudy and he kind of confessed to hiding gold, um, he had a, what we know in the Bible as an Ananias and Sapphira moment. So literally, he, uh, he's confessing, and the story goes, he had a heart attack and he died, like Ananias and Sapphira in the Bible and Acts. So, so the story Anna Spafford would start to tell is like, if you don't want to die, give all your money, right? <laughs> so everybody went like, well, if you don't give all your money, you're going to die like Mr. Rudy, right? And people would be like, I don't want to die, right? Hey, we laugh, but like I heard that sermon growing up a lot of times. Like you'd read the Ananias and Sapphira story and be like, anybody here want to die? Well, pony up, right? <laughs> if you don't tithe, you're stealing from God and you're going to die, right? Now, that method was helpful in fundraising for a short period of time. But I got to tell you, fear is not a really good long-term motivator. I tell you what it is love. And so people ask me from time to time, like, you don't preach on tithing. Like pastors are supposed to preach on tithing all the time. Well, it's in the Bible. There, there is this sense in the Bible. If you go back to the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, that you ought to set aside, like basically, if, you're, if all that's coming in for you, if you're spending more than 90% on yourself, that probably something's off and you're in a place of selfishness. That's what I'd tell you, I think the Bible's trying to tell you. Like, if most of your resources are about you, it's not good for you. Jesus actually explodes it and makes it a bigger percentage. And I would say, the wealthier we are, the higher that percentage should be, right? There are a lot of us that could live on 30% of what we bring in. And be but this is the thing. None of us need to give to the church or any cause out of manipulation or fear. But I sure as heck hope when you see the faces of those people getting bread, if you read the notes, and I'll share some with you next week, of people that are like, I was praying for bread. I had no bread for seven days, and bread came. Like, when you hear that story, you go, I want to do more of that. I'm going to automate my giving to the church because I want to be a part of that, right? And, and that's the kind of giving. When I see money come out of my account to the church, I have joy in my heart because I know what it's doing. Paul says it this way, and I think he says it best in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, but I'll say this to encourage your generosity. The one who plants little, harvests little. The one who plants plenty, harvests plenty. He's saying, the more seeds you throw, sow, and it's not about money coming back to you. It's about living the life you want to live. He says, giving grows out of the heart. Otherwise, you've reluctantly grumbled yes because you felt you had to, or because you couldn't say no. But this isn't the way God wants it, for we know that God loves a cheerful giver. God is ready to overwhelm you with more blessings than you could ever imagine, so that you'll always be taken care of in every way, and you'll have more than enough to share. Ecclesia, that sharing life, that's the good life. The stingier you are, and the more you clutch what you have, the more miserable you are. The more I... I got to downsize in the last year and a half. I went from 3,800 square feet to 1,200 square feet, and I have never been happier. Do you know how much easier it is to clean 1,200 square feet? 
It doesn't, like my kids can make a mess. It doesn't really even bother me. It's just not that hard to clean up anymore. Like life just got simpler and better and I could be more generous and I'm, I'm happier than I've ever been, right? It's a gift from God. I'll give you one more and then we'll go. One of the main things the Spaffords knew and uh, that you ought to know is that as you go through hard things, you know what your secret weapon could be? Music. Anybody go through a hard time and a song gets you through? Or you hear, you hear a song and it triggers something and you're like, ah, I can breathe. Last night, we got to host a gathering for 150 Ukrainians that are Houstonians. We were in this room over here. And Ecclesia paid to bring in this uh, super famous singer, folk musician, comedian. He's like the Stephen Colbert of the Ukraine, apparently. Uh, apparently some of it was a little off color, but it was in Ukrainian, so I didn't know to be offended. <laughs> and uh, this is the group that we gathered with um, last night. And uh, I gotta tell you, you, you can't fully see it in this video, but just, uh, I'll give you some, to watch um, these Ukrainians that, I mean, literally they came in and you could just feel the anger because it's just like, can you imagine the stories they're hearing? I'd never even imagined in the room, there were about 50 phones going all the time that were live streaming to the Ukraine. People were sharing what they were watching with their family. But I gotta tell you, this is my favorite part. You can just listen or you can see kind of the bellies bouncing as people laugh. And I, I had this sense like music and comedy was what they, their soul needed. It was the sweetest sound that I could have ever imagined. It brought me healing, hearing other people laugh. And I just wanna remind you, whatever you went through, there's a reason Horatio Spafford um, impulsively wrote a song when he came to a place of grief, right? He needed to express something. I went home last night and I realized like, I'm not an artist uh, necessarily, but I think we all are. And I, I went home to paint and I painted some pieces to express some of what I needed to express. And I'm telling you, music and art and creativity, they have, they have a healing effect on you. One of the reasons that we need to be in this room every Sunday is because that music changes the way I feel in my body. Anybody else have that experience? That when you leave, I go, ah, oh, that was beautiful. I mean, if I had enough money, I would pay Paul just to sing me to sleep at night, right? Like, He's freaking Vince Gill. Like, how, I mean, he, he, he can do it all. He's just this beautiful voice. And, and we have so many talented people around it. We hear this music. We just go, ah. Oh. So whether you're, you're listening to your Spotify playlist, whether you're writing your own song or painting, this one I remind you, the arts heal. And these really broken people, they moved to the American colony. And you know what they did? They started choirs and bands and they, they played instruments and they just intuitively knew like that would be a part of their healing. So wherever you're at today in your journey, can I just pray with you that you will face the grief of whatever loss you currently face or that you will, that you'll face it with people. Brene Brown says this and I think she's right. 
She says, we've all fallen. And we have the skin knees and the bruised hearts to prove it, but scars are easier to talk about than they are to show. With all the remembered feelings laid bare, and rarely do we see wounds that are in the process of healing. And I'm not sure if it's because we feel too much shame to let anyone see the, a process as intimate as overcoming hurt, or it's, if it's because even when we muster the courage to share our still incomplete healing, people reflexively look away. Ecclesia, I want to invite you to share the fullness of your pain and to also be the kind of people that don't look away when others share it with you. And in that place, this is what you're going to find. This is what we've experienced in community, is that the thing you think your pain and sorrow that people are going to pull away from is actually the thing that draws them to you because they also know pain. They also know grief. Dan Allender says it this way, God's calling someone. Um, Dan says, this is about holding together, right? He says, um, we have to hold these tensions. And for me, I live with a sense of grief and a sense of gratitude. And sometimes I don't know what to do. He says, literally, holding both, there's, there are no clean emotions. Everybody hear what he's saying? Like, it's never clean, it's both. The complexity of the season does not allow us to give in to either full-fledged grief or full-fledged gratitude. There's going to be a profound mixture of both. We're living our lives with things we're simultaneously grateful for and also a deep sense of pain. And I wanna be a part of a community where we can walk through it honestly. Anna Spafford honestly was not. She lived in a place they had to hide it and suppress it and it came out in really weird ways. And in the broken world that we live in, I find great hope in knowing that when you go through a hard time, I can be there for you and vice versa. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.